Good Morning Friends, Volume 1, a collection of weekly radio messages by R.J. Rushdooney. Narrated by Jeremy Walker. Produced with permission by the Chalcedon Foundation. Chapter 15, The Power of the Resurrection, April 13, 1954. Good morning, friends. It was ages ago that on Palm Sunday, a man entered Jerusalem riding a young donkey, deliberately fulfilling a prophecy of several hundred years to declare himself the divine king, not only of Israel, but of the universe. He was the Son of God, and so declaring himself entered on Monday into the temple, giving it a house cleaning of his hypocrites and frauds, as a divine landlord coming to claim his own. Since this is Tuesday morning, let's glance briefly at what happened on that Tuesday of Holy Week long ago. This was the last day of his public ministry, a day of public debate with the Pharisees, the teaching of parables, and the discussions with his disciples concerning the end of the age and the end of the world. One point is of special interest. In the closing verses of Matthew 22, our Lord used a psalm of David to prove from the testimony of that king the pre-existence of the Son of God. Thus two things stand out in Jesus' claim concerning himself. First of all, he declared that he always was, and that he had an infinite and eternal existence that was identical with the life of God. Second, he declared that the whole purpose of his earthly sojourn could be summed up in the cross, that he had, in fact, come to give his life a ransom for many, to deliver them from the power of sin and death. These two points are important. Take them away, and you have no Jesus who can be identified with the man who lived in Galilee and went to Jerusalem to die. That man claimed to be God in the flesh and declared that his death would change the nature of man. He declared, and his disciples witnessed to it, that he would rise again from the dead in the same body with which he was crucified. Either that man's claims were right, or else he was a poor fool, deserving to be pitied or locked up rather than worshipped. We cannot remake him to suit ourselves. We have to be remade to suit him. If we accept him on his own claims, we find increasingly that in him we have power over sin. That's an obvious fact, which only the willfully blind can deny. The second part of our victory in Christ is not as nearly so obvious, however, and that's our victory over death. Let's put it this way. If Jesus Christ died for us, to free us from the power of sin and death, then he died the death which we had to die, that is, as rebels against God. Thus the penalty is paid for. Now we can ask the question which comes naturally to our minds. If he died for us, why do we have to die? After all, every one of us is still facing death. We are free from the power of sin that we can recognize, but we still have to die for all that. Why must we also die? The answer is clear-cut. Our death is not a penalty or punishment for sin, but rather, quote, an abolishing of sin and a passage into eternal life, unquote. Kuiper, page 99. See also Helberg Catechism, question 42. As long as we are here in this world, we are never fully free from the power of sin and the power of death. There is in us the old Adam, with its continuing perversity, Around us, there is the constant tension of a world constantly trying to commit suicide while it screams for more life. We see everything changing and yet remaining basically the same, tainted and perverted before God, 
The world's tomorrows come, but they appear only as a bigger concentration of the nightmares of yesterdays. And man, created in the image of God, hears deep calling unto deep within him, and cries out, quote, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Unquote. Romans 7, 24. Our life in this world, and the world itself, is a body of death to us. It promises paradise, but can never deliver it, and for this reason it is deceptive and fraudulent. We can never find here something which is elsewhere. Our true life is not here. It is hid with Christ in God. Only as we see this purpose and object of life, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, do we see this world in its proper perspective and are able to get from it the joy that it can yield. We can no longer expect too much from it, but we expect more from the Lord. Now let's look again at our question, why must we die since Christ died for us? The answer is this, even as we must die to ourselves, so we must eventually die to this world and to the life in order to obtain the fullness of life. Our death is not a punishment for sin, but an abolishing of sin and death, because it delivers us into eternal life. Death completes the weaning process of our spiritual life. In our lifetime, you and I have thus far been weaned from a number of things. Each time the process was painful or trying, but the results wonderful. It is so with death, which crowns our days and gives us our diploma from this school of the world and time. For Christians, Death is a grace which leads to the fullness of life. Therefore, we can say with joy, quote, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen indeed, and has delivered us from the body of this death. Unquote.